You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Stanton, Zach Taylor, and Jeremy Paxton. Welcome to the sixth installment of The Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports commentary brewed up in 30 minutes or less. I'm Austin Staten, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Zach Taylor and Jeremy Paxton. Jeremy, I'm glad that you survived your Caribbean tour. How was it? I don't remember much, Austin. <laughs> I, I, that's, why, that's why I brought a camera, so I, I, I use that to remember my, my trips. Zach, I hope you remember the last week and a half, two weeks. How's it going for you? Uh, it's going all right. I feel like it's been so long since we've heard from Jeremy. I was expecting him to take a cue from Hillary Clinton and reassure us that he is, in fact, a real person. <laughs> All right, so we're coming out blazing tonight. I think this is going to be a fun episode. Uh, for me personally, uh, unfortunately, I went to a Texas A&M game this past weekend, but uh, it was a lot of fun, great opportunity to see the new stadium. I will say, however, it does not match the new McLean Stadium up in Waco, Texas. But um, yeah, a great experience, and today I was able to hear Jeb Bush speak in Houston. So uh, we'll talk a little more about that in the big lead. But you guys ready for this? All right. Well, we've got a full show ahead of us. It's time to sit back, grab a drink, listen, and be informed. Let's start with the big lead. The big lead. Scott Walker announced Monday evening that he is suspending his campaign for the Republican presidential nomination, leaving us with just north of 500 candidates remaining. Walker said, quote, I believe that I am being called to lead, helping to clear the field in the race so that a positive conservative message can rise to the top of the field. I encourage other Republican presidential candidates to consider doing the same so that voters can focus on a limited number of candidates who can offer a positive conservative alternative to the current frontrunner. Walker is the second Republican candidate to withdraw from the race in as many weeks, joining former Texas Governor Rick Perry. Jeremy, Zach, just a few months ago, Walker was considered a frontrunner himself. What do you make of these latest developments? I think what we're seeing is just the thinning out of the field. I'm a little surprised to have seen um, Scott Walker exit today, but even more surprised by his drop in the polls, as you had mentioned, going from leading in Iowa to now registering an asterisk. You know, I see Scott Walker as a candidate who really uh, did this to himself. Um, I mean, you could say he ran out of money. And of course, that's the reason he suspended, he suspended his campaign today. But if you look, if you looked at the trajectory of him as a candidate, uh, he wasn't really going anywhere with big donors. He wasn't going anywhere with uh, the base. Uh, his poll numbers had been consistently tanking. Um, after going after Donald Trump, they tanked even more. So I, I, I you know, I, I see this as something that he did to himself and something that could have been preventable. Um, I, I see though the focus of his whole candidacy up until this point was really on his. Uh, governorship in the state of Wisconsin, and he never really rose above that to address national issues. I think one of the biggest issues that he's faced in particular this week was flip-flopping three different times on his stance on immigration, and that just doesn't communicate uh, consistency when we all know that flip-flopping, you know, for politicians, there's a certain bit of leeway, but three times in one week. Come on, Scott. You know, my thought on this is kind of simple. You know, I, I think that, one, the Republican Party has far too many candidates right now, so I do admire Walker for kind of stepping back and saying, all right, I encourage other people to do the same. We kind of need to reevaluate this. We need to kind of have more numbers that are, you know, essentially allowing for candidates in the long term to make that move. Because I think that the longer the Republicans go with 11 to 12 people, you're kind of you're, you're giving Republicans, you know, potential donors the whole, you know, I'm not sure where I'm going to put my money. I'm not sure who I'm going to be, you know, trying to support. I want to make sure that, you know, that $5,000 check, that it's going to go to a candidate that I can see as a long term, you know, candidate or 
potential Republican nominee against, you know, Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or whoever uh, emerges from the Democratic side. So I, I, I do see that as a strong point. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have been saying that Marco Rubio could be the beneficiary of, a, you know, a Scott Walker endorsement. And a lot of people have noticed that he's already secured many of Walker's former campaign donors. What do you see as, you know, kind of the future of uh, the GOP race without Scott Walker? I don't see much changing, uh, at least overnight. I, I, I don't see, I haven't seen much movement in the polls other than uh, Carly Fiorina taking up to take the second place spot from Ben Carson. Um, I, I, I see uh, Walker leaving is regrettable, but, you know, not altogether unexpected. Um, I, I don't know if I see any um, other Carly Fiorinas waiting in the wings, any other candidates that are ready to sort of move up into a, a higher spot. So um, I, I think right now the, the story is still kind of about Trump and about um, the, the last debate. I would agree. And considering that his poll numbers dropped all the way to the point where he wasn't even registering in the percentage of the polls, you know, there's just so many other people out there. I don't know who's really going to pick up from the people who support him that that small of a percentage that was already registering in the polls isn't going to make that big of a difference for someone else because the field is just too big still at this point. I think there are plenty of other people out there who are, are essentially giving the same message, just slightly different um, packaging. And I think that was another part of like his big problem was just, you know, same message, not as appealing of a package. One point, Scott Walker was the front runner. And um, to have a frontrunner candidate like this go down uh, so, so unceremoniously and kind of almost overnight, um, you have to sort of ask yourself, like, what happened to me? It wasn't a scandal. It wasn't some uh, some misstatement that sort of haunted him as his poll numbers dropped. I mean, it really, the short answer is Donald Trump. I mean, Trump's candidacy has been a, a serious disruption for the entire field. So um, I, I think if the, the more that the, the primary here until we get to the actual election, I, I think uh, unless Trump's poll numbers really drop, I think he's going to be the, the main story. Carly Fiorina surged to second in many polls following last week's Republican debate. The former HP CEO now trails frontrunner Donald Trump in a CNN poll that came out last week. The, tr- the poll shows that Trump is still the party's frontrunner with 24% support, although that number has kind of dipped from the 32% that he held earlier in the month. Fiorina ranks second with 15% support, up from 3% in early September. She's just ahead of Ben Carson at 14%, and we've got a, a you know a smidgen of other candidates behind her. But more importantly, I think that it's impressive what she has accomplished emerging from the August happy hour debate to be one of the contenders. Uh, a lot of people said that she won last week's debate. In fact, Kansas Rep. Lynn Jenkins, a top House Republican, announced Sunday that she is supporting the former chief executive's White House bid and is now serving as her co-chair in the state of Kansas. Guys, does she have staying power? Absolutely. Not only do I think that she has staying power, I think she has winning power. If we look at not only the fact that, as you as you mentioned, that a lot of people think that she actually won the debate, if we look at the poll results after how Trump actually dropped from 32% to 24%. So I think we can attribute some to, if not a lot of her rise, that she's actually pulling support away from Trump, which is what I believed her to be the entire time. It's just a more refined, polished version of Donald Trump, who isn't going to be so abrasive and, and offend so many people. So I think I think this is really exciting, and I'm not surprised at all at what we're seeing with Fiorina's rise. I'm not surprised, at least following the debate performance. I mean, I, I, she she had sort of a moment where she talked about Donald Trump's comments about her, and she says them to the extent of, you know, women everywhere heard what you said. 
And uh, I thought that was a very sort of a watershed moment for her and, and certainly part of the reason why she's rising in the polls. But uh, my question is, you know, can, can it last? And she certainly does. I, I, while I really like Carly as a candidate, she certainly has her issues. Uh, she has what some would describe as, as a disastrous tenure at HP. Um, she uh, had a, an unsuccessful run for office in California. Um, uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, I see Carly Fiorina, and I see the recent rise in, in her numbers, and I, I wonder if that can last. I, I certainly would like to see it that way. I, mean, I, I think she's a, a candidate of substance that should stay in the race. Um, I think that she brings a lot to it. Jeremy, to your point about her unsuccessful campaign uh, in California, she was running against Barbara Boxer in a Democratic state. I mean, I don't think anyone could win that election. I think that was pretty much a foregone conclusion. So I wouldn't hold that against her. But I do think you bring up some fair points about her uh, tenure at HP and her you know, kind of experience as CEO. Uh, one thing that I've read in this past week is that regardless of what happens, whether she does emerge as that top Republican contender that likely will face Hillary Clinton, a lot of experts have suggested that she's going to end up at least on that ticket, whether it's as a presidential nominee for the Republican Party or as the vice presidential candidate. Do you see that as being kind of a, a, a nice compromise in, in terms of, one, possibly having a more polished politician as that number one candidate for the Republicans than having somebody that is that, you know, Carly Fiorina that is going to speak her mind that isn't part of the establishment on the ticket as well. I think thinking about her actually being at least almost not a guarantee, but a, pr a pretty big favorite to be at least one of the spots on the ticket is it's pretty astonishing to me to look at what the top, per, uh, you know, the, the, the favorites in the Republican primary are at this point. I mean, we could be realistically looking at a ticket where you have Ben Carson and Carly Fiorina on the ticket for the Republican Party bucking any and all stereotypes that have been going on and being supported by the left for decades about what, what it means to be a Republican, an old, white, rich male. Isn't it ironic with the Republican war on women that uh, a woman seems to be doing quite well in the Republican race for uh, the nomination. So anyways, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I think this whole thing is actually quite remarkable when you sit back and look at it. I mean, you have Ben Carson, um, who's you know an African-American doctor, not a part of the political class at all. He kind of came out of left field uh, with that state dinner with Obama, where he really went after the president on health care reform. Um, I, I, I think the, the the party's in a good place right now. It just, uh, it, it, of course, with such a wide field still, even with Walker out, I mean, they are still sort of working things out. And I think uh, as time goes on, we will see the better, more polished candidates, uh, you know, tend to last longer. And I, th I think Carly is one of those. Now, I, I, I think that's a natural transition to kind of the final point that I wanted to bring up on this. Walker said that we need to, you know, trim down that Republican field. Just by my kind of gut instinct, I think we're kind of down to six candidates that can kind of emerge from that GOP field, that crowded field. And I, I just want to hear if you guys agree with this or not. Donald Trump, Carson, Fiorina, Rubio, Cruz, and Bush. Am I missing anyone else? I don't think that you're missing anybody. Um, matter of fact, I don't even know. I would go back and forth on whether or not to even include Bush and Cruz on that list of realistic candidates right now, seeing as how, at least for, for Bush, how he, he was you know one of the establishment front runners for a long time, and he's been stuck at 9% for I don't know how long. I mean, I know it's still early on, but considering how large the field is and 
what the expectations were for him, the fact that he's now, you know, registering his fourth or fifth in the polls and hasn't been able to move and has just basically been kind of stuck there. I, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of room for him to really grow if he hasn't already. One thing that I will say about Bush is I, I do think he was a little bit bland in the debate the other night. Uh, I was able to hear him today speak at the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce luncheon, and he was, you know, touted his immigration policies, and he sounded a lot more confident when he was speaking. Granted, he was interrupted by protesters. He seemed more confident and more personable than he did on television. One thing to also consider, the, the reason why I don't think that you can write him off is because of the war chest that he has, you know, with with massive amounts of donors. So I'm not sure that you can write him off. With regards to Cruz, he had that anti-Iran deal rally with Donald Trump. So I think he's kind of pandering towards Trump's uh, you know, following, hoping that Trump eventually is going to fall out and that those candidates end up supporting a guy like Ted Cruz. I'm not sure that's the correct strategy or if that has staying power, but I think that's something something that we should watch. In terms of the, the final field, um, I, I, I agree with your your numbers, Austin. I don't think uh, guys like Kasich or um, Huckabee or Christie are really. I think they will eventually fall out as well. I'm also sort of worried about Rand Paul. I know he just worried. I know he just uh, won some uh, straw poll in uh, the Michigan or Wisconsin or one of those. But um, I worry about him. I don't. I don't. I don't really see him ticking up too much. In my mind, it's really between. Um, at this point, Rubio, Fiorina, Carson, and Trump. Um, I also see, uh, yeah, I mean, Bush is there. Bush is there, but I, I have to wonder if Bush gets the nomination, you know, how, how does he get the base out? Um, you're kind of looking at a, another maybe 2008 situation where McCain, you know, he has to go and get a VP candidate that's real, you know, that'll appeal to the base. So I, I don't know. I, um, I think that's a, I think you're on the right track, definitely. I think that's a fair point. And needless to say, it's still early. It's September. We've got another 14 months to go before we finalize this thing. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to watch. And it's going to be interesting to follow the poll and the tracking and to see who emerges, who falls off, who are the next people to step out. I think Walker was just the first of, uh, you know, maybe a few candidates that we'll see step out here in the next few months. Now for the rundown. The rundown. Guys, we had an insane week of college football. Ohio State taken to the brink. USC loses to Stanford. Old Miss goes into Tuscaloosa, comes out with the W. LSU emerges as a team that looks like they're here to stay, blowing out Auburn. What do you guys make of the college football season after three weeks? Man, this this weekend was very telling. I mean, if you remember my two of my picks for the college football playoff have already shown that that's probably unlikely in USC losing to Stanford this week. And then Auburn just for no real reason should be ranked at all based on how they performed. Just a lot of fun, a lot of upsets, and um, I think we're seeing, in addition to a couple of the ones that you didn't mention, uh, was SMU um, holding really close with TCU, and that score being not quite as revealing as to how close the game actually was, as well as Texas Tech beating Arkansas in Fayetteville, and that's setting up a really intriguing match for uh, Texas Tech playing TCU in Lubbock next week, a potential upset alert there. Absolutely. And kind of talking a little bit about Arkansas, I I don't know if you guys heard, but I I liked what Cliff Kingsbury did coming out and just throwing elbows at Brett Belima of Arkansas. We'll go ahead and play the audio right here. I just think the physicality, um, that's a program that prides themselves on being physical. And um, at the Texas High School Coaches Convention this summer, he stood up and said, if you don't play with a fullback, we'll kick your ass. If you throw it 70 times a game, we'll kick your ass. And uh, he just got his ass kicked 
twice in a row and probably next week by A&M as well. So that did feel good. I think it goes to show you got to be careful what you say in college football, especially when you're talking about Texas high school football coaches. Uh, he insulted a lot of people when he made those comments um, not too long ago. So uh, I, I, you know, while I obviously want to beat Tech here in a couple of weeks, I, I certainly appreciate uh, his uh, cliff statements. Absolutely. And I think he's definitely done a great job getting that team focused this year, especially after the beatdown they took last year in Lubbock to go back to Arkansas on the road, come out, you know, as a double digit underdog and to come out with a straight win. I think I think that's huge for the program and momentum that Texas Tech has. I think the players might be buying into Coach Bro and Cliff Kingsbury. And honestly, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. You guys ready for it? I think TCU falls to Texas Tech by double digits this weekend. I was thinking about that, and it would not surprise me. They had TCU. W- one thing that you know, to be fair to TCU, if you look at the SMU game, they have lost quite a few defensive starters um, relative to what they came into the season with. And so, I I, I look for a, a, an offense that knows how to take advantage of an opportunity like that to run all over them, and that includes us. Um, of course, uh, you know anything can happen, but um, that that's going to be the game to watch this weekend. Uh, I think. You know, looking more broadly at the conference, the Big 12 is really not as weak as a lot of people thought it would be. Um, I, mean, I know we can laugh here about Texas, but uh, they really, I think, found a quarterback and came back from a ridiculous deficit to almost win the game if it weren't for that shanked, uh, that shanked extra point. I definitely think you are right. I think the Big 12 race is going to be a lot of fun this year. A few weeks ago, Baylor struggled with Lamar, 21-21 in the second quarter. Ended up pulling away with a nice victory. But uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they react this week against Rice. And then, of course, heading into conference play next week up in Dallas as they take on Texas Tech. But uh, I, I think what college football has proven to us so far this year is there is not one dominant team. I think the only team that can maybe make that case right now would be LSU or Ole Miss. But even I, I think it's almost too early to make that rash decision. I mean, Ohio State is a little suspect. You know, Oregon's not the same Oregon of the past. Michigan State beat a subpar Oregon team. USC falls. You know, they were a national championship contender. Uh, Baylor has kind of played, you know, marginal at best. I think it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out. And we're only in week three. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's, I find that the most exciting about college football. I love it when it's wide open like this and you don't have just a for sure number one, particularly with Ohio State and the way people were talking uh, before the year started of how they were the clear cut number one and, and it was going to be theirs to lose and stuff. And, and I think particularly with the way they performed against Northern Illinois this year that, or this week, excuse me, that they are definitely beatable. Too. Absolutely. And I can tell you what, I'm heading up to Waco this weekend to watch Baylor take on Rice. It's a 2.30 kickoff. It's going to be hot. It's going to be about 95 degrees at kick. But we are going to Sailgate on the Brazos River. So I am excited about that. Just a little bit of a break to cool off. Uh, hopefully it should be an exciting weekend. I'm looking forward to also seeing the other games as conference play starts to kick off throughout the country. Closing time. Well, Jeremy, we're glad you survived your cruise. We're glad that that contract dispute, you know, finally got itself worked out. You know, after a one-week hiatus for everybody, it's kind of nice to get back on the mic, talk a little politics, talk a little college football. Did you guys enjoy it? Yeah, definitely. Great to be back. Had a great time. You know, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it tonight. I know that next week we've got a great episode in store for you, so definitely stay stay tuned for that. As always, if you have any comments or questions, you can find us on Facebook. Just search The Weekly Brew. You can also find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash theweeklybrewcast. Also, if you're on iTunes, check out our podcast. Search for The Weekly Brew. Rate us. Give us a feedback. Give us a like. Do everything. Tell your friends. Tell your grandmother. 
tell everyone that you know, uh, The Weekly Brew. And again, for my co-hosts, Zach Taylor and Jeremy Paxton, I'm Austin Staden. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Staten, Zach Taylor, and Jeremy Paxton.